0: Acts 17 on this morning, and I think I'm going to start at verse 1. Acts 17, verse 1, and let's read the verse 9, okay? Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, And when they had come, or when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths—how many Sabbaths? For three Sabbaths. Whole weeks for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude, even of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and they joined Sidas. Let's look at verse five. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, they became envious. They took up evil men from the marketplace. They gathered an online mob. They sent all of the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason and they brought to him or and they brought to them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brother... To the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have also come here too. Jason, yeah, Jason, he's harbored them. And these are all the acting, they're all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Listen closely to verse 9. And so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And when they had taken bond money from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And when Jason had to put up collateral and the rest, they let them go. Let's go back to verse 7. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, and his name is Jesus. There is another king, and his name is Jesus. I only have about 12 minutes on today, but I want to talk to you. We preach Jesus. We preach King Jesus. One more time. We preach king jesus you can't hug nobody you can't shake nobody's hand but just go ahead and point at somebody or wave at somebody and say neighbor we preach king jesus now if they don't want to talk to you maybe you can't read their lips because they get their mask on all right. all right i'm not gonna give up there we go there we go come on we almost there come to the conclusion that this mic doesn't like me it likes brother Crawford and it likes Ella Dalton and it likes everybody else, but when I put it on, maybe the anointing joy is too strong for them. I'm just messing. I'm just joking. Don't, don't, don't record. Oh, I'm all, I can't, I can't help but record it. record recorded now. I was just jesting. What well, the Bible says, you shouldn't jest as much. Okay, you're right. Forgive me. I have sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I will never say it again. All right. Not, not. Hey, listen, not a problem. I got to keep rolling. So here we go. Here we go. um We preach King Jesus. One more time. Come on, everybody, say it with me. We preach. Uh-huh. What? King Jesus. Go ahead and take your seats in the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm going to do something. I'm going to reap today what I've sown many, many times. I have no notes today. There are no notes for the LCD. There are no notes online. I have no written notes. These are announcements of Wednesday's event and Tuesday's event. But I do want to preach the Word of God. Is that all right? I want to hear from the Word of God. And so Acts 17, let's let's, let's take a real quick uh journey through Acts 17, 1 through 9. Here's what you need to know, and and, and I I might deviate for a few moments. I may not, not quite sure, but here's what's important. Paul is on his second journey. This is not his first missionary journey. This is his second journey, and on this journey, instead of Barnabas being his sidekick, Silas is now with him. Not only Silas, but uh, Luke is with him. Not only Luke, but Timothy is with him. There's a new little crew, right? And they're going through the areas of, of, of what we would call Turkey today, Turkey uh, today. But in this journey, in this journey, uh, the Holy Ghost ministers to Paul and Cyrus. In fact, they were headed north, and the Holy Spirit stopped them. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit permitted them. He permitted them, gave them a very strong unction not to go in this direction. Uh, Instead, they would try to go another place, and for the second time, again, when Acts 16, by the way, the Holy Ghost said a second time, do not go in this direction. It wasn't an idea, it wasn't a persuasion, but the Holy Spirit was so strong, so evident, so moving that Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke now are uh, cautions okay to, 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 to not make a move without the Holy Spirit. I wrote down in my study Bible, I wonder what that moment must have been like for the Holy Spirit to say don't go this direction. I don't know if it was a day or a week, could have been two or three weeks, maybe a month or so. But what do we do when we feel this unction and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't move this way, don't move that way? Well, I don't have time to teach that message, but here's the end conclusion. The Holy Spirit did say in a vision, in a dream, come over to Macedonia. We got some ministry to do there. And so the Bible says immediately, immediately went straight to Macedonia. And what do we know about Macedonia? The book of Philippi, excuse me, the book of Philippians is written. The jailer gets saved. The girl who has the devil cast out of her, that happens there. They meet Lydia, who in the Bible says was a, a very prominent rich woman who sold purple linen. A lot of great things happened in the book of Philippians, but the book of Philippians probably would have never been written had the Holy Ghost told them no to this direction, and yes, to that direction. Let me make a real comment. Let me make it real easy for you. There are days when the Holy Spirit gives you a Holy Ghost no. And you may not understand why. You think this is the boyfriend, the girlfriend. You think this is the wind, the man, or the woman I need to marry. You think this is the city I need to live or move in. You feel and you uh, hope that this is the direction you're supposed to go, but somehow the Holy Spirit gives you an unction. Something on the inside that just doesn't give you a peace, doesn't give you clarity, only to realize that if you wait on God, if you allow the Lord to speak, He'll open doors that you could have never imagined. Sometimes a good idea is a good idea, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a God idea. And we have to learn how to discern, how to distinguish, how to pray what seems to be a good idea versus a God idea. Let me say that again. Not every good idea. Is a God idea. It might have been a good idea for them to go north and uh, east. But God would say, "No, I want you to go west." Well, how do we know? Well, you know what? I'll give you a sign. Paul has a dream, and in that dream, a man is, is waving and saying, "Please come to Macedonia. Don't never underestimate dreams. Okay, here's how I feel about dreams. You want to know my theology with dreams. I believe God speaks in dreams. But I also believe eating bad food in the middle of the night can also speak in dreams. So you need to have a very delicate balance because not every dream God is speaking in. But there are times when God uses dreams as he uses day visions to speak direction, to confirm. Sometimes, the bible well not sometimes, but the Bible says that there's safety in the multitude of counsel. Sometimes it's listening to friends and men and women of God, particularly those who are old and seasoned and experienced. They can help you discern and distinguish the will of God for your life. And so we find that Paul and his team goes to Philippi, and they begin to write and begin to minister. And so after they leave Philippi, they now head on to their journey, which brings us to Acts chapter 17. So now they're headed to Apollonia. They're headed to Amphipolis, and they come to a city called Thessalonica. Now, what do we know about Thessalonica? Well, we know 1 Thessalonians is written. We know 2 Thessalonians is written. Maybe you didn't know. 1 and 2 Thessalonians are considered the oldest books in the New Testament. I know we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would be because it's the first part of the New Testament, but that wouldn't be true. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written to sometime between 80 and 85 years after Jesus had died, was buried, and rose and went back to heaven. John didn't come on the scene until another 20 years after that. So the first and the oldest writing we have of the New Testament is 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Some people say maybe Galatians as well. Either way, Thessalonica is now considered that city. Today, if we live in that day, Thessalonica would be the New York City of the world. A lot of commerce, a lot of money, a lot of business, but also, Pastor Tim, a lot of sin, a lot of debauchery. And a lot of pride. It was a very rich city. It was a very populous city. It was in the middle of a trade route. And so in Thessalonica, they had it going on. You know, when I read this earlier this week, I said, God, it kind of reminds me of Charlotte. You know, Charlotte's an up-and-coming city. We got all of the big banks. We got a whole lot of corporations and textiles and a lot of great things happening. And sometimes I wonder, does the spirit of greed live in the city of Charlotte because of all of the banking and all of the corporation? yet young but yet old, yet new but yet on the way. I wonder sometimes, is our city steeped with too much greed? I, I, I have to deal with that at another time. So what else do we know about Thessalonica? Well, unlike Berea... Unlike Philippi, unlike so many other cities that Paul had journeyed to, Thessalonica was a city where there were some evil people, evil people. In fact, let's keep reading. Verse 2, Paul, the Bible says, as his custom was, he went, and for three Sabbath reason. With them, that is the Jewish population, you had to have 10 or more Jewish males to have a synagogue. So apparently they had at least 10 Jewish males. And Paul went, as it was his custom, to teach and preach from the scriptures. And here's what he was doing. He was explaining and he was demonstrating. Okay? I won't be long today. He was explaining and he was demonstrating that Jesus is the Christ. He uses scripture. Now, wait a minute. He can't use the New Testament because the New Testament isn't written yet. So he has to go from Moses, or excuse me, he has to go from the law and the prophets. In other words, everywhere from Genesis to Malachi, he gives them the word of God. And every time you read about a Messiah, every time you read about a certain Messiah in the Old Testament, I'm here to tell you that this Messiah has actually come. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. So many things that was prophesied and foretold about him in the Old Testament has now come to pass in the last several years now. Oh, boy, here we go. Now, why is this important? Because remember, Paul didn't have a, a New Testament manual. He, he, didn't, he can't show his pictures online with Jesus. Uh, in fact, Paul never met Jesus. He never met Jesus in the flesh. He has a divine revelation. He's on the road to Damascus, and he has a, a spiritual epiphany and a revelation, and Jesus deals with him through vision and through revelation. Now, why is this important? Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by a man who never met Jesus. But yet we believe in what the Word of God is saying. We believe in what the Scriptures are saying. How important is that? Revelation. Someone say revelation. I was on a walk this past week, and I I did a six-mile walk. Uh, uh, Who can I talk to? I need to find somebody who's going to say, keep on walking, Pastor. Keep on walking. Six-mile. I feel good, too. But on that walk, I'm telling you right now. I've been thinking about them Ram trucks. I said, boy, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to get me one of those Ram 1500 trucks, and, and I try to spiritualize it, right? I try to over-spiritualize it. I said, Ram, R stands for revelation. A stands for application. I said, that feels good, but we need one more. M, that stands for manifestation. I said, Lord, may the church have revelation, may we have application, and may there be a manifestation. Now, I didn't realize that would be in Acts chapter 17, because the Bible says Paul gives the application, but then there was demonstration. And if the church is going to survive in 2020, in this post-COVID world, it's going to have to be a little bit more than A and B selections. It's going to have to be a little bit more than a tri-Sunday school service. It's going to have to be a little bit more than just good, okay, that a past preaching and teaching. We got to have a divine revelation, how to survive, how to be saved, how to stay saved. We're going to to have to apply it to our lives. This can't be the world where we say, do as I say, not as I do. We've lived that, been that, done that. Got the t-shirt and, and the bumper sticker. But now, as leaders, as church people, this millennial crowd are saying we can care less about the songs, we can care less about the building, we can care less about the stained glass. We want to know, are you living and is it real to you? Right. Revelation, application, and then there has to be some type of manifestation. And that's what I'm believing God for in our services. Manifestations, something that man can't concoct. Something that committees can't rehearse. But you just have to be like in the upper room waiting and praying and expecting. And then there's a move of God. You can call it manifestation. You can call it demonstration. It doesn't matter to me. Paul says, the Bible says he was ministering with both application and demonstration. But not, I, something very interesting happens right here in verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, they became envious. Can I stop with that one? Throw me that towel if you don't mind. Just throw it to me. I can catch I hope if you can throw, praise the Lord. Thank you, man. All right. Now, listen, let me say this real quick. I'm, I'm about halfway finished here. Thank you, sir. Now, real quick, uh, let's go back to Thessalonica for a moment. Remember now, this is a very arrogant, prideful, boasting, prosperous city. Unlike most cities, they didn't really care to hear what Paul had to say. In fact, they were not even neutral. What did they do? The Bible said that they became envious. I had to put the pause right there for a moment. And I said, you know what? The spirit of envious is always cousins or second cousins to the spirit of murder. When a person can't murder you, they'll become envious of you. When a person can't kill you altogether, they become jealous of you. The Holy Ghost reminded me ain't nobody but one person has the right and the order of being jealous, and that's God. Only God has a biblical mandate to be jealous. The Bible said he is jealous over us. He is jealous for us. And nobody in the earth, like you and me, should ever be jealous for one another, right? And so the Bible said that they became envious. And I began to ask the Holy Ghost to help me with this one. And he said, sometimes when people can't defeat you, they become envious of you. When people can't beat you, they become envious of you. I talked to an old friend of mine this past week. I said, man, let me tell you one thing. There were people waiting for you to die. There were people literally holding their breath, couldn't wait for you to fold like a cheap suit. But instead of them folding, instead of you folding, and instead of you dying, you're surviving, you're, you're growing, you're sustaining, you're being prospered. And he said, Pastor Mike, thank you. I needed to hear that. He got to laughing on the phone. I got to laughing with him. I said, because you're in good company. There are people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting. When is he going to die? When is he going to have a nervous breakdown? When are they going to fold? When are they going to clothe? When is this and when is that? I'm here to tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because what you thought was dead God said I was planting what you thought was gone God said I just need a little bit of dirt I need a little bit of death I need a Bible said except the seed fall to the ground and die it abideth alone but when they thought they buried you you need to look at somebody and say neighbor they thought they were gonna bury me but they're not burying you then you will be implanted and I hear the Lord saying if I plant you hallelujah one plants uh, another waters but look at somebody and say God gives the increase uh, I, I don't know what type of church I'm in on this morning I thought I was coming to a holiness church a Pentecostal church well people don't mind saying preach pastor well people don't mind saying you're talking right well somebody don't mind waving their hand and saying Lord they thought I was gonna die but I was being planted and when God waters he's gonna give an increase you ain't seen nothing yet don't you give up on your dreams don't you give up on your hopes don't you dare give up on your aspiration for God the blessings of the Lord make it rich and has no sorrow. Somebody just wave their hand and say, Lord, I thank you. But the Bible said they became envious. Be careful when people are envious of you. People will get mad at you. They don't know why they're mad at you. You know why? Because they're jealous and envious. You survived things that they couldn't have survived. You're still smiling and still loving on people, still being friendly, and you still got your right mind when they didn't make it through that same storm. So the Bible says please take your seats. I'm almost finished. The Bible says that they they they, they got envious. And, and and watch this, brother Hunt. It wasn't enough for them to be envious, but they wouldn't get a mob. I don't know about you, but it, it seems like you can't say nothing online without a mob squad coming your way. Not only did they get a mob, they went to the ghetto. They went to the worst part of the city and they found some ungodly, unfriendly men. They wouldn't get some roughnecks. They wouldn't get some some beaten down men and said, listen, we got a man named Paul and his team in town. We want you to rough him up, make him feel such a way. And guess what? They did just that. But when they couldn't find Paul, the Bible said they went to the house of Jason. Now here's the truth. We don't know a lot about Jason. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Jason. But I wrote in my notes, God, thank you for a Jason generation. Men and women who are willing to harbor and host the men and women of God. I may not be the preacher. I may not be the musician I may not be the lead teacher but I got a spirit of serving a spirit of supporting I'll pray with you I'll open my home I'll let you borrow the car I'll do whatever it takes to see the gospel go forth there will be some Jesus planted in your life they won't have big personalities they won't have a big title They're just help they're here to help the process they are here to see the gospel preach I got to keep moving real quick almost finished and so the Bible said when they couldn't find Paul and his team, they brought Jason and his team out, brought them to the magistrate and say, here are these, and they're with these people who have turned the city or turned the world upside down. I gotta stop right here for a moment because I want the people, of, I want the world to say about our church, these are they who have come and they have turned the world upside down. In the day that we live in, we're seeing all type of turmoil. Dangers, destruction, disease, locusts, African Sahara Desert Storms, I mean, my God, if it seemed like when it rains it pours. You think you're coming out of a season only to realize we're getting about, got, about to go back into another season, then you have to deal with the spirit of racism, white silence, you have to deal with so many oppressive no wonder they said we would probably have one of the worst mental illness movements in our history after all of this is said and done it is only so much the mind can take it is only so much negativity a person can take it is only so many no's and shut doors a person can take unemployment is on an all-time high people at each other's throats things that people are confused and some are condemning. the church world is fighting saints are fighting everybody's fighting but these are they who have come here. These are they who have turned the world upside down. What a compliment, what an accolade, what a wonderful thing to say about a church. The rumor on the street is these are those who have turned over this town and this city and this township and now they've come to Thessalonica and we're concerned because we we love being in our sin. We love being in compromise. We love things just as they are. But now they're preaching something that we're not familiar with. They're not talking about Caesar and Roman citizenship or Roman law. In fact, while everyone cries, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! They're saying, Hail Jesus. While they're giving, while we give more credit to the leaders of Rome and we're giving more credit to the nation of Rome and to the people of Rome, They're talking about another king, and I don't know if there could be any greater compliment in my last three minutes for church than the world to say they preach King Jesus. You want to know the answer of COVID-19? King Jesus. You want to know the answer of world systemic racism? King Jesus. You want to know the answer to the police department, the law department? the judicial courts, the White House, the governor's mansion, the mayor's chamber, somebody ought to cry, King Jesus. I don't care what they're saying in the streets. I don't care what they're chanting on the block. All I know as for me and my house, I'm gonna keep crying, King Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. If we've ever needed a revival, we need it right now. If we ever need a renewal, we need it right now. If we ever needed a church to be restored, and to be strengthened and to go to the top. We need it right now, but it ain't coming because of politics. It's not coming because of social media. It's not coming because of good friends. It will only come if I be lifted from the earth. Jesus said, I'll draw all men unto me. I wonder, there's anybody in the house today who don't mind waving a hand and saying, King Jesus? I wonder, is anybody online? I know you're at home with your rollers in your hair, flipping pancakes why you listen to the word but can you just take a moment and wave a hand and say king jesus i am the way the truth and the light no man comes to the father but by me jesus said the devil comes to steal kill and destroy but jesus said i have come that you would have life and life more abundantly somebody wave a hand and say king jesus that's the answer for the world that's the answer for our martyrs. thank god for black lives matter brown lives blue lives white lives but at the end of the day jesus is the way the truth and the life no man Can come to God except through Him. It is in Him that we live, it's in Him that we move. It's in Him that we have our being. Without Him I am nothing. Without Him I would fail. Without Jesus, I'm nobody. But somebody say, God, I thank you. Come on, say, Lord. About 6.45 this morning, I went for a little walk. In my time of prayer, I heard the Holy Ghost say, freedom is not free. I said, what did you say, Holy Ghost? He said, freedom is not free. We're celebrating Juneteenth, the emancipation of slaves in 1865. This coming weekend, we'll celebrate the freedom of our country since 1776. Fourth of July. No fireworks, by the way, downtown Charlotte this year. So it's yet still an unusual season for us. But while we celebrate Juneteenth and while we celebrate Fourth of July, the greatest freedom is in Christ Jesus. But that freedom ain't free. It's going to cost you something. They said, Jason, oh, I can't wait to meet Jason when we get to heaven. We don't know a lot about Jason, but he was one of those unsung heroes who sat in the second chariot, who made it happen for so many others. They said, Jason, before we let you go, you're going to have to put up a little bail. You're going to have to put up a little bond money. You're going to have to put up a little security. And the Bible says that he did just that. He and those who were with him. And the Holy Ghost said, "But Jason had been freed, he had to pay something. And the Holy Ghost said, tell the people that freedom isn't free. It's going to cost you self-denial, self-ambition you have to learn how to deny yourself. you have to learn that it's not always about you. True freedom is not being bound by the expectations of other people. Some of us, we're so worried, so nervous about to have anxiety attacks, all because we're trying to please other people. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be in a place where you don't have to please nobody but Jesus? Isn't it a great thing to not be bound again? Paul writes to the church at Galatia and says, listen, if Christ has freed you, Who is it that has bound you all over again? Isn't it something how even in the church, we can get freed from drugs, free from alcohol, free from illicit living, but yet still be bound by the opinions of our neighbors. You got free from drugs, free from sin, but yet bound by what you think people are saying about you. Freedom will cost you something. Freedom will cost you something. I believe in the city of my soul that you ain't seen nothing yet. How do you know? 2020 will be a year that will be written in the archives for our grandchildren to read. It will rival with 9-11, Doom D-Day, July 7th, Pearl Harbor. It will go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and rival with some of the greatest destructive eras. Interesting, you can look at 1918, a year, uh, 102 years ago, people sitting in Brooklyn at the baseball field with masks on because of the, I don't know if it was the Black Plague or the Blue Body Plague, what was it called? The Spanish Flu, thank you. 102 years ago, yet two years later, we have the greatest revival called L'Azuzah. We will not be able to go through the birth canal of pain and pressure as a generation and God not do something phenomenal. I don't know how much you've heard in this season, but if you don't throw in the tally, you don't give up. You've not woke yet to what God's going to do in your life. And I just, I'm a firm believer that deeper the pain, greater the blessing. Deeper the level, greater the anointing. I don't know how you've suffered in this season. Some of you all have had to bury loved ones online. You've had to say your goodbyes through a telephone. Some of you all have had to deal with unemployment and trying to figure out where your next check or your next rent or mortgage or, 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 or food was coming from. You would have thought that them years would, would have been gone with years ago, but here we are in our 50s and 60s and 70s, wondering who's going to die next of this disease. If that wasn't enough in the black community, now we got to deal with the uh, George Floyds, the Ahmaud Arbery's, the Breonna Taylor's. We got to deal with the situation in Atlanta. Now the situation and and, 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 uh, this recent situation, young man was, it happened a year ago, but now it's coming to the light. Colorado, Aurora, thank you, Colorado. And all the boy was saying is I'm just different from everybody. I can't breathe. I'm different. Sounds like my son. Sounds like your daughter. Sounds like your grandbaby. This takes a toll and an attack on our minds we're not too sure if we've seen the worst of this you've got division in governmental ranks you've got an election coming that seemingly again you'll have to choose between the fox and the wolf whose bite is less the But God is not forgetful of your labors of love. And the Bible says particularly the labors of love you show to the saints. There's something about staying connected, staying committed, staying undercover. Bible reminds us in Isaiah 61. He says for your shame and for your pain, I'm going to give you double. Zechariah 9, 12, I will restore. And not only restore, but I will restore double. Joel chapter 2, everything that the locust, the pommel worm, the canker worm, the chewing locust, the swarming locusts, all of these great enemies, God said that I allowed. He says, I, I'm going to restore those things back to you. So this is why I'm a firm believer today. And I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being cocky. I'm not acting out, out of myself. But I am convinced in the word of God, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm convinced right now that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Come on, stand to your feet. But the Lord, the Lord brings you out of them all.